The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Okay, I need you to just trust me. You don't have to trust me if you don't want to or if you don't know me. I need you to say, I messed up. Okay, we're going to come back to why you just said that in a little bit. Today we're talking about a topic that um, I need you to remember, just like the Postal Service, for those of you who are under 20, Postal Service is this little car that travels around and delivers these things called letters on things called paper. Uh, I am a messenger. I'm not a message writer. Message writer? His name starts with J, rhymes with E's. That's you put it on the stage right here. So when you get mad at me today, I'm going to say mailman, mail writer. Okay? Just so we're clear, Mark chapter 10, we're talking about an extremely heavy topic, an extremely important topic, and an extremely relevant topic, no matter where you are in life. So all, all the married people, shoot your hands up for me. All the married people, all the single people, all the single people, all the single people. There you go. Um, the kid's like, yeah, dad's like, nope, yeah. Um, I, I don't know what teenagers are like, I'm dating, does that count as marriage? Nope. Uh, that's where that's at. We're talking about divorce. Because we're going through the book of Mark, and the reason why I go through books of the Bible is because I think that it's a travesty when pastors just pick and choose passages that they like most. And when you just go through a book from start to finish, it forces you to talk about everything that Jesus talked about and wanted us to understand and learn and grow in. However, I'm not going to be coming at it from the approach that you may be thinking. If you grew up in the church, um, you generally have this thought or notion like divorce is bad. Don't do it. I think most people go into marriages thinking that. I've never officiated a wedding, for example, when I'm there saying, do you? And the person says, I do for now. I've never done that. They go in bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, all the hopes and the dreams on this person to make them happy. The only people that think that are people on their wedding day. And you realize that person can't make you as happy as you thought. But we're going to come to that because we're talking about divorce. Jesus is going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. Amen. What's the phrase I had you say in the beginning? I messed up. Okay, Mark chapter 10. Hopefully you're there by now. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me. I'm going to pray. We're going to read and jump into a bunch of God's word. Father, today's topic that you recorded for us, you wrote this down so we would have it forever. It is hard, and there is pain involved. There's fear involved. There are questions. There are doubts. There are insecurities. And, Lord, the church has done a terrible job of heaping shame and guilt upon people who have gone through broken and messy relationships. Lord, I pray as I always do that your grace would be a banner over every situation. That we would understand your word clearly this morning and that we would all be inspired, whether single, married, dating, engaged, to be exactly who you have called us to be, nothing more, nothing less. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, Amen. I want to start out by saying right out of the gate. If you get mad at me, I'm forwarding your email to Jesus. Okay. And he, Jesus, left there and he went to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again and again, as was his custom. What he did over and over, he taught them. And Pharisees, every time you see this in the New Testament, Pharisees are the religious leaders of Jesus' time. So you need to imagine a group of pastors and priests are going up to this guy who's teaching a little bit differently than they are, and they say, we don't like what you're doing. They were constantly trying to trick him. And believe me, I've been in both sides of this. There's 
Not many groups scarier to run into in public than a group of pastors together. I don't know why this is. Um, even when, when I'm hanging out with pastors, if we tell people we're a group of pastors, then they, they clean up their act right away. If you see some of your parishioners, like do you remember when you were in school, like you teenagers or, or elementary kids, middle school kids, you see your teacher outside of school, and it's like they're in a National Geographic movie, like there's a Linda in the wild. That's what it's like when people see me. Then they stop swearing instantly. And, uh, and I milk that. Like, I don't think pastors should be put up on pedestals. But since people do, I milk it. Like, if people, they're lying to me, I'll say, you just lied to me. If when you lie to a pastor, that's two times sin. It's not one time, two times sin. Pastors are people just like you. I'm a messenger of God. You're a messenger of God. I'm here to tell people the good news of Jesus. It just happened that God gave me a fast-moving mouth, big lungs, and a brain that likes books. So I have this job. But God has given some of you other jobs, sales, military, teaching, baristas, whatever it is. We're all messengers of God. And, and just because someone's a pastor or a priest doesn't make them better. It means they should strive to be what they teach because hypocrites are stupid and we're all hypocrites. We're going to get there. These guys, the pastors, came up to Jesus. I love, I love it. Jesus only gets mad at pastors in, this, in the whole Bible. They call them Pharisees. But I love that. And they're trying to trick them. It's like when my kids try to trick me. <laughs> Never mind. Is it lawful, they said, for a man to divorce his wife? Divorce was a hot topic then. It's a hot topic now. He answered them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. If you remember back then, historically, God was unfolding what proper relationships looked like, and he, but he worked within fallen and broken humanity. There was a time when people around the world treated women like property. Now it's becoming less and less. Praise the Lord. And Jesus was at the forefront. He was a man out of time, elevating women to a position no one else had ever done. And the Pharisees are trying to make excuses for their sin, make excuses for their decisions. Said Moses said we can give her a certificate, which is what we do today. Give certificates and we part ways. Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Essentially saying because he knew you would fail. He wanted you to have a, a little means of peace. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. That's talking about more than sex, but including sex. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house... The disciples asked him again about this matter and said to them, he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. May God bless the reading of his word. Divorce in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and throughout history in different pockets was like the bad thing, the scarlet D. If you got divorced, people would look at you differently. Divorce is painful for a variety of reasons. Today is not a sermon where I rant and rave on the, the woes of divorce. Today's a sermon where I want to paint to you the purpose of marriage so that divorce doesn't even look like something you want anymore. Some of you may have been divorced. Some of you may be desiring a divorce. Some of you may have been thinking about it from time to time. Some of you may be single and you're like, I'm never getting married. God bless you. The Bible even says, Paul says, if you can be single, do it, because you have way more energy to serve the Lord, which is true. 
What you do? I've got four kids and a wife. It is a lot of work to watch my house get cleaned. No, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I mean, the last couple months I'm not playing, but in general. Um, it, you have all these things. You're raising up your kids. You've got to feed them. You've got to feed these kids until they're some age. I don't know what age. You've got to clothe them. Otherwise, they go to school and they look like Pee Wee Herman. And it just doesn't work. And then with your wife, you've got to pour into your wife. She's got to pour into you. There's relating that has to happen, Netflix shows, date nights. If you could be single, the Bible calls it a gift. The Bible calls it the gift of celibacy. I know some single people who are like, I want the gift receipt. Send me to marriage. But if God's called you to celibacy, it's, it's I imagine, a beautiful thing. And single people are like, it's only because you imagine. You don't know what it's like living in my shoes. I was single before, people. But the Bible also says in that very same chapter, if you're going to burn with lust, go get married. I'm a burner. I need you to understand what, what today, I need you to understand, get a picture of what marriage is so that you'll understand why divorce breaks God's heart. And we're going to read through a bunch of passages. If you want these, just email me. Hey, can you send me, send me the, the scripture notes and I'll just send them to you because I'm going to just, we're going to be going through some and just breaking it down. Because you have to understand what marriage is before you just say, ah, divorce is bad. Because here's what we do in the church. We say, divorce is bad. Don't ever do it. And I've seen this, not dozens, hundreds of times where couples are together legally, but they're functionally divorced. But in order for that to know what that means, we have to know what it means to be functionally married. Genesis 2, 18. The Lord said, it is not good the man should be alone. I'm going to make a helper fit for him. God made this and this and this. And every time he did, he said, that's really good. That's really good. That's really good. God made a dude and looked at him and said, this guy is not going to make it without some help. Sometimes women read that and they think, why are we the helper? I read that as a man and think, why am I helpless? So it just depends on glass half full, half empty. But I, I just want to paint a quick, we're going to skim across the surface here. So men and, and women need each other. They fit together. It's complementary, not say nice things, but fit together for a specific purpose. In the same way that males and females have a, a biological difference, plumbing-wise, there's also a spiritual difference that God has hardwired into relationships between men and women. It says in Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, become one, become unified. It's more than just a physical, physiological act. Being one flesh is a mingling of souls and emotions and lives together. This is part of the reason why divorce hurts. It's not just people leaving and walking separate directions in life. It's literally a fraying of souls. And before you start thinking about your own life, if you've been divorced or want divorce, I need you to understand to get to this point where we begin to understand we've all begun to fray the mingling at some point or another. Hebrews 13.4 says, let marriage be held in honor, in honor among all, and let marriage, let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. A marriage is something that is honoring. A marriage bed is, is something where you come together and you connect with love and grace and tenderness and intimacy. A marriage bed is not something that you bring into the second glances, the addictions to pornography, the affairs. Those things tear away from this. 
God is saying this is what marriage ought to be, a thing of honor. Here's one of my favorite verses. This is going to be some of your life verses, you guys. This is in the Bible, okay? Just remember, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. Amen, husbands? Amen. And likewise, the wife to her husband. We had one. Ah, same as first service. They're like, there's like one gal like, amen. And all the other wives are like, I don't know what to do. But check this out, you guys. This is wild. This is wild. This is in the Bible. For the wife does not have authority over her body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband doesn't have authority over his body, but the wife does. Here's your new life verse. Men, do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you. Literally, I just want to put that verse over my bedroom door. Just like, babe, it's in God's word. We want to be faithful followers of Jesus. Here's the thing, you guys. <laughs> Husbands, vacuum. You don't even need this verse. Just like vacuum, clean, feed the kids, make the dinner, clean it up, foot massage with no expectations, four nights. <laughs> Come on. If I don't get more amens today, I'm going to get more preachy. If you haven't figured that out yet, it's because you haven't been married more than two months, okay? We're going to get to why, though. It's, there's a biblical reason for those things I just said, too. But intimacy, sexual intimacy, don't treat it as the main thing. It's a thermometer for a million other things. Now, we're all different. There's no formula. The Bible never says, this is how many times you need to have sex, married people. The Bible does say, be intimate with your wife. There's a whole book about sex where it talks about how, how to have sex or how they had sex in this beautiful poem where the guy starts it out by looking with his eyeballs at her eyeballs. He doesn't just jump in like a puma, okay? That's not biblical. Biblical intimacy is a life experience, a whole life, meeting a whole life under a covenant before God. And it serves a purpose. It's not just God just didn't think up in the heavens, what can I do that's going to be really fun? No, no, he, he created it for a purpose that has to do with him. Let's get to the favorite verse, this verse. Every time I read this verse across this country, Every time I read this verse, women cheer. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Yeah, get it, Ree. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Here's what's happening to all of us right now. We are born in the last... However many years, century. Our brains, some of you who are younger are thinking, that does not make sense with the way that I think relationships are supposed to work. I, I encourage you today to, to ask yourself this question. If there is a creator who hardwired relationships to work a certain way for your joy and satisfaction in that relationship and ultimately in him, is it worth it to you to, to question some things? And if the Bible, if you read the Bible and it never disagrees with you or you never dis then you're not reading the Bible correctly. The Bible should confront you in areas where you are different from God. And this may be one of those areas where our minds are like, oh, that's not how modern people work. But, but I need you to hear this. I need you to hear this. Husbands, same section. Ephesians 5 is where this comes from. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now you might think, 
the women seem to get the short end of the stick. We have to submit. That's what the Bible says. The problem is, is that you're not reading this in the correct translation. I'm going to give you the new ghetto version of Ephesians 5.25. It's just the one that I twisted in my twisted head. Husbands, die. Die for your wives. That's what that means. Just because they use the word love and it's the same word we put on Valentine's Day cards doesn't mean the same thing. It doesn't mean have fluffy butterflies towards your wife. It means husbands die like Jesus every day. Never stop dying. Now, it's when I read it that way that I think, can I submit? Can she die? No, no, no. There's a, a wiring. There's a wiring. Just like we have biological wiring. There's a spiritual wiring. It's the reason why in general, like God created men to do certain things. We're generally bigger. I'm speaking in generalizations. But when there's a bump in the night in our houses, for those of you who are married, it's usually not this sound. Thud, thud, thud. Hey, sweetheart, can you go see what's going on downstairs? I mean, I know we're in Florida, so I know there's like that one gal who's like there in her PJ pants with like a garter belt and a nine mil. But generally speaking, bump in the night. Husband goes downstairs. We die first. This means we lay down our lives first. No matter what is going on in a marriage, you die. If, if your wife, husband, loves you, good. Keep laying down your life. You're, you're going down to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die for you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do what Jesus did for the church. I do for you to the best of my abilities. I wash your feet. So Jesus, he washed his feet. The modern-day marital equivalent of washing feet. Is still washing feet. Like, get your wife a pedicure. Give her foot rubs. I need to do that more. This message was too convicting for me. And my, my wife left, so now I could be more honest. Vacuum the house. Do the dishes. Scrub the pots and pans. I'm guilty. Every time I cook, my wife cooks, she'll wash everything. I cook whatever was the most stubborn pot or pan. I just put dish soap in it and water, and I tell her, it's soaking. I'll get it later. By later, I mean next week. And then, like, magically, some little fairy comes in and gets it put away for me. A husband says, I, I will give everything. That's the call on a husband. And it's this picture, not one of, here's the person in charge and leading, and here's the one meek and kind. No, it's a picture of a husband saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give everything. I'm going to sacrifice everything till my knees are bleeding. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to leave my comforts because Jesus left his comforts of heaven to come down here. I'm going to leave my man cave, bat cave, whatever you call it, and get there and get grimy and serve and love. And in the same way, the wife is there in the Bible. And that same passage says that women are called to respect and honor and love and submit. I'll tell you what's a lot easier. If a man is laying down his life daily, I promise you from experience that the wife will want to submit and trust and respect. If a man is not living in the Christ-like mantle put upon him of saying, I'm here to serve, I'm here to be humble before you, it becomes really hard for a wife to want to trust, respect, and love that. I think there's a reason why, why God put this mantle on husbands. The reason I talk so passionately to men is because I've been doing this pastor thing for two decades now. And women come to church more than men. Mother's Day attendance is higher. Father's Day attendance is lower. We need men. 
men who will say, I'm going to give it all for this. And if you want your marriage to find a semblance of peace and joy and satisfaction, ask yourself, could it be, could it be that there's a creator who created this picture? And this is the purpose of, of marriage. He created this picture, we learn in Ephesians 5, so that your life, couples, is a living picture of Jesus' love for the church and the church's love and respect for Christ. So when people look at your marriage, they say, that God is amazing. That God lays down his life for his bride. This is what Jesus did for us and what God calls us to do in marriages. And, and I don't want to talk today just about how bad divorce is. We've heard those sermons. We've felt the condemnation. What we need to ask ourselves is this. How many of us are already getting functionally divorced in the midst of being married still? You're still there married. You're under the same roof. You say, I love you. You give the driest, unhappiest peck on the cheek before work. Functionally, that picture of a, of a husband saying, I will die for you. I will die for you. I will serve you. And the wife saying, I trust you. I love you. I'm here with you. That's what the picture is. But we all, all of us, me, the reason why I said I messed up, because all of us start fraying at that picture. There's no one that's perfect. No, not one amongst us. There's only Christ. Many of you know, I know, I've seen, I've experienced, I've watched, I've, I've tasted and seen what happens when a marriage becomes just a legal binding document. But all the, the stuff of the actual relationship is, is just in the garbage. It's been destroyed. Dishonor, unfaithfulness, mistrust, lies, deceit, addictions, or just not even, just I'm not going to serve them. I don't like them screaming, yelling. Husbands die. Someone has to be the first one to lay down their life, to put their head on the line and say, no matter what it takes, I'm going to serve and love. I will not stop. You can go to marriage conferences. They'll get you a bunch of tips and tools, which are great. I've read a lot of marriage books. My favorite is probably Love and Respect by Dr. Egrick. But um, at the end of the day, the best marriage advice that I've ever heard from me is die like I died for you, Ryan. Die. Everything else really falls into place because you begin to build a picture of this mutual love and submission and sacrifice. It gets harder for us husbands, and then I'll start picking on all of us together. There's a verse in 1 Peter 3, verse 7. says, husbands, live with your wife in an understanding way so that your prayers may not be hindered. I need you to think about this. Husbands, if you don't understand your wives, you're going to pray, Lord, and God's going to be like, what was that? What? And I hear you. That's okay. That's what the Bible says. Here's why it's odd to me. It'd be cool if the Bible said, you know, wives, live with your husbands in understanding ways so that your prayers not, may not be hindered. But let's be real honest. It's easy to understand a man. Like, not being sexist here, men are just a shade up from savages. Like, feed us, bed us, be near us. We don't talk, talk, doesn't matter, most of us. We're like, we're good. Sex, food, I'm a good dude. The Bible knows that women are more complicated. So the Bible says, husbands, understand your wives. This is one of those verses where I think, I wonder if God's up in heaven like, 
of God's like, I made women this amazing fountain of complexity. And I'm going to tell the husbands to understand them. Study your women. Now, if you're a single guy here, Phelan, teenage boy in the back, just take notes. Just study. Study when you when you get married, be like, I'm going to study this woman like she is my primary educational pursuit. I want to know what makes her tick. I want to know what makes her fall in love. I want to know what makes her angry so I don't do those things. Study. Men, just treat your marriage like a documentary. Crikey. She's coming out of her natural habitat. Her fur looks unkempt. How can I get her to be pleased today? And put into practice. Yeah. Does this make my butt look big? I'm walking into a trap right now. <laughs> the reason why, the reason why it should be your pursuit if you're in marriage is because there's a mingling of souls, and you, me and my wife, and you and your spouse, you're this picture. Single people, hear me. You need to know some of these things because they matter for your life as a single person as well. It matters that when you are unmarried, you are, that, that Christ, Christ is your head. That you have this direct relationship. It's just not as visible to everyone else around you as a marriage is. But this mingling of souls, this two becoming one, my hope today is not that we would just walk away thinking, yeah, divorce is bad. I know I've heard from the church. My hope today is that you walk away thinking, marriage is good, and it's worth fighting and dying for. And this is where my marriage has been just falling off the rails. But I want to get it back. I want to be that picture for my kids, for my husband, for my wife, for those around me to show people this is what God's love looks like for us. And this is what our love and trust and respect looks like. And you just model it. I don't want my kids, I don't want my sons to have to ask me, Daddy, what do dads do? I want my kids, if I asked them, hey, do mommy and daddy love each other? His appropriate response should be like, too much, ew. And that's the goal. <sighs> I, I think most of us know, you know, divorce is bad. The reason why is because it's this picture that God is painting through your lives, getting threads pulled out of it, having tar thrown on it. And here's the good news. Every one of us in here has failed at marriage. If you're married, and if, you have, if you're not married, you will fail. Every one of us in here, according to Jesus, Jesus said, if you've looked at a woman or a man with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart. We're adulterers. We're liars. If we've broken an oath, we've exaggerated the truth, you're a liar. So you're, a, you're an adulterating, lying thief. If you've ever stolen anything, uh, if you've ever been angry at someone, you've murdered them in your heart. Literally, Jesus says, lust, anger, lies. When you do these things, it's showing that the seeds of those actual things have already taken root in your heart and are growing. These seeds of destruction. So if you can start your marriage on that note, saying, hey, girl, I'm a lying, thieving adulterer. I might have killed people, but I want to love you forever. Will you spend the rest of your life with me? The more open and honest you can be, the better. My goal in all my premarital counseling when I do it is I say to the couples, okay, imagine that your life is a deck of cards and your life is a deck of cards. 
My goal isn't to give you all these tools. My goal is to dig into your life and flip over as many cards that are there, not just the good hands, not the royal flush of all the good things that are you, to flip over all the, the bad stuff and flip over as many of yours. And then I say, now you look at their life and you look at theirs. Do you want to have that person with you for the rest of yours? And if you do, we call that marriage. And Matthew 19 would say, you're no longer two, but one. What God has joined together, let not man separate. Don't let humans, including yourselves, unravel what God has joined together. Here's the good news, bad news, good news, bad news. We've all unraveled. The reason I know this is because we're all human. And here's what bewilders me in the church. Bewilders me. People are married, and we've made such a high and lifted up picture of marriage. I've known many, 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 many couples who are married, and they've been married for 10 years, 20 years, 30, whatever it is, and they're miserable. Can you imagine that? Someone says, well, we've been married for 50 years. I hate them, but I stayed married this whole time. I think God is really proud about that. How about God might be happy if you actually kept loving your spouse? God doesn't want the shell that's empty on the inside. It's just, you know when you get ice creams at Dairy Queen? And they do your cone or cup, and they don't put anything in the middle, and you're heated. I'm heated. Dairy Queen, they're repeat offenders against me. I get my ice cream on my cup, and I'm eating it. And I get after the first little cone of destiny, and I see that inside, it's basically like someone just took ice cream and like smeared it around the edge of the cup. It's just empty. And I look at it and think, what a ripoff. That's what some of you guys have done with marriages. You've, you've made it look all fancy on the outside. Everything's good. But on the inside, you've let it hollow out. You might have stayed together for 50 years. Kudos to you. And sometimes it does take that. Sometimes there might be a spouse that doesn't like you and you as a husband, you just die, 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 die to yourself. Serve, serve, serve. And it may be that. But I promise you that God's ideal in this is to have a, love, uh, a marriage that continually falls back to, yes, we failed, and now we're going to show how much God loves. We failed, we show. Husband fails, wife forgives and loves. Wife fails, husband forgives and loves. Over and over and over again so people can see what forgiveness, grace, and mercy look like. If that's been you, if you've been living functionally divorced, I could put it another way. In modern terms, you might say, oh, I've got an anger problem. That's putting functional, you're functionally trying to divorce part of your spouse from connecting her to God and painting this picture. Oh, I'm addicted to this thing. You've, you've, you've begun to put something on the painting. We've all done it. Every one of us have done this. I'm asking you today to be honest with yourself, to say, yeah, I messed up. I need Jesus to save me again and again and again. I need Jesus to save my marriage again and again and again. I need Jesus to redeem my singlehood so I stop craving marriage. One of the interesting things about counseling people is that I've met a ton of single people who want to be married, and I've met a ton of married people who want to be single. Very interesting to me. Both of them think that the other one's going to give them happiness. Happiness is not going to be found in your spouse. If you've looked to your spouse to make you happy and be your primary source of joy and identity, you're in for a big letdown. If you're a wife and you've turned to a man, you've realized pretty quickly that we are not fonts of happiness and faithfulness. 
If you're a, a man and you turn to getting married to your wife because you thought that, that sex would finally be the fulfillment you thought it would be, you find out very quickly sex doesn't work like you think it does in your brain when you're a single man. There's one person that can fulfill you, one person who can satisfy you, and it's the same person whether you're married, single, or otherwise. And if you don't get him into the middle of what you're trying to do, it will be impossible. Whoever divorces his wife, Matthew 19, 9, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. There's this thing with sex that God keeps driving in. There's something more to sex than just biological beings combining for a moment. It has to do with some spiritual reality and weaving together of souls. That's why. If you ever wonder why does God talk about adultery? Why does God talk about divorce like this? Because God knows how he created souls to exist. Here's a good one. So this, as I was prepping the sermon, it's like heavy. I'm feeling like, oh my gosh, Lord, I have failed. Thank you that you died for every one of these failures. Help me, to, help me to be a better husband, Lord. I need the resurrection power of Jesus to get me off the couch to love my wife more. And then I, as I'm all heavy, I'm like, just my eyes are all teary at my desk. I read this verse in my mind. This just whiplashed me. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. And for whatever reason, as I was like all serious and like praying and like, Lord, I read this husband and I just saw like a mental picture of my wife holding my life insurance policy, looking at me on a bad day. It says, this is the Bible, a married woman is bound as long as her husband lives. Oh, really? I, I've, I've joked before about my life insurance policy. I think it's a good thing if you get married and have children, especially to get life insurance. If you don't, go do it. But, but picking it is precarious. You want enough to provide for your family should you die tragically, but not enough to incentivize your wife to murder you, right? So I was like, for me, it seemed like $750,000 is where sort of like, I was like, that, that's, that'll get her by, you know, so she can marry a, like somebody wealthy, you know, just take care of her. I said she can marry whoever she wants as long as he loves Jesus more than me. And, um, and, and then the church was like, oh, we have to get this new insurance policy thing. It's for the building, like in case you die so we can pay bills while we find someone to replace you. I was like, thanks, Edwin. You're so sentimental. And um, we got this policy, and they said, oh, part of the policy was this much, so we're actually just going to give you a little bump in your personal side. So they bumped me up to like $800,000. And every time I, I get some sort of perk if I die, I kind of look at my wife and think, is that the number where I murder, where I get murdered? Is this it? Is this the one where I go to sleep for the final time because the check has just gotten a little too nice? It's in the Bible. <laughs> Women, you're only bound as long as he's alive. Take that what you mean. You could swap out divorce for murder. Some of the husbands are just sweating bullets right now. Pastor, you have no idea what you're saying. My wife's packing heat right now. I just felt the Walter PPK silencer in my ribs. I'm sorry. Sometimes I forget that I'm in Florida now. You can't just carry these things around in California. Man. When a man takes a wife and marries her, it should be forever doesn't happen. Here's the hope that we have. The hope is that you and I are all impossibly messed up. The reality is, is that none of our relationships here 
single, relationship with God, relationship to one another in marriage, none of them perfectly show off the, pi- the picture of God's love for the church and the church's love and submission and trust in God. None of them. But the God who sent his son from heaven to earth to die and be mocked and spit on, for some reason wanted to show us, as he's done throughout the whole Bible, that the reason for this type of relationship is to, sh- to connect people to him. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, God uses some graphic language. I can't say because I've scanned around the room and there's younglings. But graphic language. We're talking about how Israel's been unfaithful to him as a loving husband. But what happened? You see, God stuck with his people and he made a way for his people. There's a way for your marriage, even if it's the darkest hole and you can't see a pinprick of light. There's a way. There's a way for you as an individual to change. You may think, I've been doing these habits for so long, can't teach an old dog new tricks. Stop calling yourself a dog. Call yourself a child of God. Learn a new trick. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, if God could raise Lazarus from the dead, if God could heal the blind, if God could take the little girl who just died and lift her up by the hands and call her, call her back, if God could take someone's hand who is withered, extend If God could make people who weren't walking be able to walk, which, believe me, it hits home right now for me. I read these passages about a lame man who gets up and walks. Some of you are my friends on Facebook. I posted a picture of my my regular leg and my chicken leg. Atrophy is a real deal. I might get my boot off this next Tuesday. If the doctor says I can get my boot off, I'm going to slow down again because right now I can move my boot. Protects me. I get my boot off, and I walk around the house like this. And I wear shoes again. But I have to grow this leg again. Jesus can do it in an instant. Bop! Well, you don't know, you don't know my marriage. You don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. You don't know my kids. Like, yeah, me and my wife are fine, but we gave birth to four demon children. You don't know what we're living with. We live in a pigsty. Everything breaks. I can't get through this. My husband's so thick-skulled. Sometimes I think men are just all skull, no brain, just a little pee in there. I don't know about you, but if we study our wives, we pay attention. We say, Jesus did this for me, I'm going to just do that for my wife. And the wives say, man, even when my husband is a total doofus, I'm going to pray for him, love him, serve him. Because someone's got to break the cycle of what's been going on. And I don't mean that all men are dumb. I just mean that, like, in my marriage personally, I've told you, I've told my wife, I am terrible at hints. That's just a freebie for you women. Don't give us hints. We're dumb. Don't say the trash is full. Because all that means to us is stuff it down. Say, take out the trash. Don't say there's a lot of laundry. Because all that means to some of us is, why aren't you doing it? See? This is why I'm learning. Don't tell your husband that there's love bugs in your windshield because he might just get you dryer wipes and say, here's this for the next time love bug hits. When you meant wash the car, take out the trash, do the dishes. We're good with simple commands. Zug, zug, you know. Man, I picked on us a bunch. Last thing, when if your marriage is going bad, Jesus puts the mantle of Jesus on you. Every time you read Ephesians 5, and you want to say, wives, submit to me, woman. Or you want to read Corinthians 7, 1 Corinthians 7, and say, do not withhold conjugal rights from me, woman. 
remember that the Bible, the Word of God says, die, die, die. Your wife says, I don't want to be intimate with you. It's probably because you haven't died somewhere. You haven't served like Christ served you. It's a very simple thing, this marriage deal. The simplest and the hardest of things. But this picture that God wants to paint in your life will be beautiful if you let God's power do it, if you embrace forgiveness and give it frequently, if you are willing to be as transparent as you can be with God with your spouse and say, here's all of my failures. I'm so grateful that Jesus died for me and gives me the power to overcome these now. Let that be the banner over your life, fam. I'm going to pray. We've got a couple Q&As. We'll, we'll get out of here. Father, there are so many marriages that I've known and in moments of my own where it's just failure after failure seems to mount up, and it seems like you just can't ever undo what's been done, which is true, Lord. We cannot, but you can. You can bring forgiveness where there is only hatred and division. You can bring peace where there is, where there is only strife. You can bring joy where there has only been an ocean of sadness. Lord, you can do all things because you can raise us from death to life. Some marriages, Lord, this morning need that. Some individuals need that, Lord, this morning. For those who are in here wondering, well, my spouse doesn't believe or not the same as me or, or we've got this issue, Lord, I pray that they would today begin the journey of dying to self and serving dying to self and serving, loving and respecting, and that you would bring a newfound vigor in the marriages here this morning in this service. Lord, help people to seek help when they need it, to press into your word, not in a textbook manner, but in a manner that teaches them how to love well so that their lives can show the world how much you love us. God, help us in Jesus' name. Amen.